Welcome to Tell Us About It, Victim Research Convos, a podcast from the Center for Victim Research with support from the Office for Victims of Crime. On each episode of Tell Us About It, we talk to researchers and practitioners about their work, the tools being built for use in the field, and how we can work together to build an evidence base for victim services. Today, we're talking with the team from one of CVR's supported fellowship projects, understanding the social context of re-entry, criminal, and trauma recidivism in Prince George's County. Gentlemen, welcome, and can I ask you to introduce yourselves and your role in the project? Thank you. I am Dr. Joseph Richardson, Associate Professor in the Department of African American Studies and Anthropology at the University of Maryland College Park, and I am the Principal Investigator for the study. I'm Che Bullock. I'm the Senior uh, Violence Intervention uh, Specialist. I work with the gentleman uh, with CAVIP at the University of Maryland Prisons County Hospital Center. My name is Uzo Ihekwaba. I am a Washington, D.C. area filmmaker, music producer, a sound engineer, and uh, also have the privilege of working with Dr. Richardson on behavioral science research. Dr. Richardson, or can I call you Joe? Yes, you may. But please tell us, tell us a little bit about this project. So the uh, the project actually is, uh, is, a, is an offshoot of another study that we conducted um, which was funded by the University of Maryland's uh, Patients Program out of the School of Pharmacy. So I have to give a little shout out to Dr. Daniel Mullins for um, for funding that project. And we were we were conducting uh, that project was to fund uh, focus groups with male survivors of violence, um, their caregivers and stakeholders. And after we completed that that study, what we found. Um, is that criminal justice involvement had a significant impact on bringing young men back to the hospital for repeat violent injury. So as an ethnographer, and I've been trained as an ethnographer, I really wanted to do something more visual um, and and get into um, providing kind of a visual narrative of the young men that we work with. And so I I applied for uh, the Center for Victim Research proposal and was awarded that that uh, fortunately was awarded the uh, the funding for that, and so we started the digital the digital storytelling project for Life After the Gunshot, and integrating um, young men who we work with at Capital Region Violence Intervention Program, which is our hospital-based violence intervention program at University of Maryland Prince George's Hospital, who have come into our trauma unit, who were um, survivors of a gunshot wound, but they also had histories of um, criminal justice involvement, so they were either, you know, previously incarcerated or on um, probation or parole. And so we wanted we wanted to understand what was the intersection of the criminal justice system with the healthcare system for male survivors of gunshot wounds. So now, for people who are not familiar with it, what is digital storytelling, and why did you decide that was the approach you wanted to take with this project? So it's a creative way of of weaving in um, the narratives. It's not necessarily just simply a documentary where you have talking heads who are giving their story, which is great. But we were also wanted to do something more creative where we're able to tell a story kind of digitally by using other mediums of visual uh, ethnography to tell a a really uh, compelling story. So we added animation. Um, also um, integrating statistics 
that we're getting from U United States Department of Justice on, on uh, criminal recidivism, as well as health statistics from the CDC on, uh, on gunshot wounds and, and survivors of violent injury. So we could tell a com more compelling narrative that would be engaging for, for the viewers of telling a story that can provide some real context, right? So if someone's telling a story that you often don't get into the context of what are the real structural issues that kind of push gun violence. And I think through digital storytelling, we're able to weave that in with not only having um, individuals that have been affected by it, but also other mediums which can tell a more um, compelling story. So as as a researcher, are there special ethical considerations in this form of research when you're asking people to share their story in a digital format? Definitely. I, um, so we had to go through our IRB, uh, which is the Institutional Review Board for the University of Maryland, and we have to do that with all of our studies. But for this study, we, uh, we had to add in the additional um, consent for our uh, young guys that work with us, and I'm always going to refer to them as that, for the young guys that work to us. Sometimes I say my kids, um, but they had to also be uh, aware and informed that we were going to use their images for a digital storytelling project, and they had to consent to that. So, And then that was vetted through the University of Maryland uh, IRB. Che, can you tell us a bit about your role with the Capital Area Violence Intervention Project and then how that fit into this research project? Uh, for sure. So I like to think of my role as, um, you know, the bridge, right, between social services and the urban community. Um, one thing that I've noticed, you know, been doing this work for maybe about four to five years now is that um, a, a targeted population are now used to articulating their, their, their trials and tribulations to, uh, you know, social service uh, members. Uh -huh. um, so that's when I step in, you know, I, I walk into the rooms and I give them a brief description on um, what I've been through in my life. So in 2013, uh, I was stabbed 13 times and I was medevaced <clears throat> to the hospital. I and mean, that's actually how I met uh, Dr. Richardson. So, you know, so once I tell them that story and let them know that, you know, anything is possible if you set your mind to it, you know, they're more open to, 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 to counseling. Right, and in order for someone to, to, to get better, you have to acknowledge that you have an issue. You know, PTSD, anxiety, things of that nature. But these guys can't put a name on it, right? Mm -hmm. So once I let them know, um, you know, what they're going through and being able to uh, give the situation a title, they're more uh, receptive to, 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 you know, seeking help. So that's been such an important role in that violence intervention project. Then how do you, um, when you have that relationship, how do you introduce potential participants to this project for the digital storytelling? I understand, you know, you've you've helped them get some of the initial help that they need. Then how do you how do you introduce this new idea? Well, honestly, um, it didn't really take you know a lot of persuasion. You know, they were very open to it. Um, one of the things I like to do is I like to give them a part of myself, let them know who I am as an individual, and in return, they would give me a part of themselves. And this is 2019, so everything is visual. Um, so they were more than, they were very uh, enlightened to, to, to be a part of the project. I would assume it would take a little more, um, you know, persuasion, but it didn't. You know, they were very open to it. Have you ever experienced hesitation or wariness from these participants when they're then put in front of a camera? 
Uh, well, honestly, I think it goes back to the credibility of myself uh, and building that relationship with them. They know that I'm not going to put them in a situation where something can happen, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, the courts can bring it down off the stock document, anything of that nature. I think it's that trust, that relationship that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I speak about my experiences very freely, right? So once they see me do it once again, you know, it makes them a lot more comfortable. So a lot of these participants have very complex histories. Does that make it difficult or is that a challenge then in getting their informed consent to help them think about what might be any risks in participating in this project? Honestly, I think my delivery, I think I have a special kind of delivery. Um, and I always articulate, you know, life is about decisions, right? So when you jump off the porch, you can even go left or you can go right, but you have to jump off the porch. Mm. And when I explain it that way, um, Everyone wants to good. Everyone, me personally, I think everyone wants to do good, right? You just have to have a direction to follow the goodness. Mm. Um, so just giving them an opportunity to, to 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 be a part of a project of this nature. And a lot of guys want to live in service to humanity anyway, right? Um, once you guys actually see the full um, video uh, of life after the gunshot, they say, "Look, I want to be a volunteer. I want to help my community. Mm, what can okay. I do to help my community?" Right? And this is a perfect example on. This gives them an avenue to to do that work. I would also add, too, that Che was in the study that I conducted at Prince George's, and he was part of the previous study. Okay. So I, uh, the way that the, the project at Prince George's Hospital Violence Intervention Program really got off the ground and was the development of it was informed was the study that Che was in. So my, myself and my postdoc at the time, Dr. Chris Saintville, who's now professor at SUNY Buffalo School of Social Work, we recruited 25 young men who were shot or stabbed at bedside, uh, and Che was one of the participants in that study. So he was very familiar with what it was like to be in a research study because he was in our study, and we interviewed him three times over the course of a period of two years. And so. Um, Che had been familiar with that, but also in his role um, at uh, Prince George's Hospital within, in our program, he's also trained in human subjects research and has completed the CITI, which is a requirement for, for all uh, research investigators to, to complete. So he had, he had familiarity from being in a study and also- And then the formal, the formal training. Right, the mm-hmm. formal training as a researcher as well. Uzo, let me turn to you. As a filmmaker, how does this process of digital storytelling differ from the other work that you do to capture people's stories on video? One of the main things is uh, the fact that uh, I was a former student of Dr. Richardson. And so seeing how informative his, uh, his uh, curriculum was for me as a, as a young African-American man in the United States how it impacted how I looked at myself, my community. I approached this project like none other, just simply because of the magnitude of of the research he was doing, as well as the information that would uh, come out of the research and how it could impact other people who want to become functional uh, members of society. So my approach, my dedication to it was was very different um, than any other project I've approached. I definitely had to find ways to uh, enhance what he was doing um, because when I got here, they had already put in incredible work, incredible legwork, incredible infrastructure. Uh, and so I, ch- I kind of just had to calculate and find ways that I could 
help improve what they had done in any way that I could. Creative uh, energy or with um, just my experience with the tech, the tech side of things. You know, whether it was sound, whether it was visual, I just thought, you know, whatever can enhance this experience. Because I know how much I learned in this class. So if this could now become content that could be viewed anywhere in the world like what imagine the impact it could have when you know maybe in this class you might have 50 80 people but if thousands of people could could get their hands on this information it can change lives because it changed mine so that's just how I approached it I've never had a project I had to approach like that so you were able to use your talents and your knowledge as a filmmaker to really bring stories to life with your understanding of sound and the visuals and, and all that. Absolutely. What I, what I also have to say is that I commend Dr. Richardson for also seeing the talent and helping to enhance it. Like he, he, he saw the talent in me and was able to help create or inculcate an environment where I could help him. So it's like that you know, it, it takes a lot of humility, you know, to 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 tell someone that it's like help me help you, but it's like in in it's a two way street, and it takes a whole lot of humility. And for Che as well, like I met Che uh, in 2013 or two thousand yeah 2013 or 2014 for the first time when he was still just interning for Doc, and um, I I saved his number. I still had his number. And um, we, the first time we met, we had an amazing dialogue, amazing conversation, almost like a debate, because he was literally just fresh off the street, if not still in it. And I was, uh, I had, I had some things in my past, but coming through college, going through Dr. Richardson's courses, going through, uh, there's another uh, professor, Dr. Uh, uh, Ray, Dr. Rayshon Ray. He does amazing work as well, because. Uh, in the sociology department, those two teachers and the information, their, their classes were extremely important for me uh, in, in reshaping my life, reshaping my decision making. So when I encountered Che, who was still kind of fresh off the street, we had a, a really interesting like uh, back and forth about his reality versus the reality I wanted to create for myself and, and the reality I saw possible for our community. So once I saw them team teaming up, it was uh, it was only right that uh, I reached out to them and I was like, hey, if I can help in any way. And uh, Dr. Richardson made it happen. That's great. Now, as part of the of the process, what do you do to get people comfortable sharing their story in front of a camera, which can be intimidating for people? Is there any anything that you credit your ability to to make this project work from a filmmaker's perspective? Honestly, it's like a triangle offense. I don't know if you've heard that term before. <laughs> it's it's really a triangle offense. Uh, Doc has an amazing. Uh, he 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 gave me an amazing perspective on it. He calls it the goons and the geeks. The goons and the geeks teamwork is probably the greatest that we could see in our like urban slash like modern era, because you need the street smart. You need the the wisdom from the street. You also need the the uh, the intellectual and the philosophical perspectives to come together in order to change the world. So 
I feel like anybody that comes into our triangle, it don't matter what part of life they're from, they're going to fit in and they're going to feel comfortable because the energy in here is life changing and it's world changing. So I just feel like when the geek and the goon come together, like anyone can fit in between, man. Anyone can feel comfortable. I don't care if you're, I'm a nerd. I also have love for the goons. So it's like, you know, it just, the energy's perfect. Che, what do you think participants get out of this process, the ability to share their story in this research or, or participate in this research? Um, I think we spoke about it earlier. As far as, you know, uh, this population walks around with a chip on their shoulder, right? And it's a stress reliever. You know, if you, if you walk around with all this an, animosity and, 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 and anger and, you know, all these type of emotions that you never articulated or let it out, it can build up like a Pepsi. You keep shaking, it's going to explode. Mm. But if you release some of that pressure off the Pepsi, you know what I mean, it's going to decrease. So I think this is the perfect example um, of an individual just coming on camera and actually telling their truth. Once you tell your truth, you accept everything that you've done. Now you're able to grow. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the best qualities. So do you have any ability to check in with people later to find out how, how they're now viewing their experience or whether, the, you know, whether they were satisfied in participating? Yeah, for sure. So my guys, um, they reach out to me 24-7, right? So our, our main uh, line of communication is Instagram, right? So not only can we uh, direct message each other, but I can also watch what you're doing every day, right? And, and these guys are, are moving on to become uh, very uh, successful individuals. And I think it just took someone to just really sit down and listen to, you know, their story and their triumph, right? And give them some words of wisdom. They say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result, right? So now that they articulated to us, you know, what they went through, and now they have the proper tools to move on, why go back to your old ways, uh-huh. right? And that's one of the examples, you know, I like to, uh, to use. Joe, what's the next step for this project? We definitely want to, uh, to take what we have, put it into some, some film festivals locally, nationally, and then internationally. Um, but we also we also have other big plans for 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 projects that um, not just visual projects but projects that also will focus more on gun violence and specifically on guys that are um, offenders as well as per, as well as victims as well, which I don't want to reveal too too much right <laughs> now. But um, we're we're definitely going to continue to do do our visual work. I think it's important that we we keep telling the stories of of the young men and um, women that we work with and the caregivers. And that's another piece that was part of life after the gunshot when we were doing the focus groups was interviewing the mothers, you know. And we've also we've had we've interviewed the surgeons as well. So we really need to tell a, a fuller story about. The, the ways that we intersect a lot of different systems. So, you know, our lives just aren't you know, confined to um, and isolated to working with the with the young men mm-hmm. that come into the trauma unit. I mean, we cross all kinds of contexts. So we, you know, in any given day, you know, for in, in eight hours, we could be working with a guy who has been shot multiple times to uh, talking to a legislator or the councilman for, for Ward 8 or Ward 5. Um, shout out to Kenya McDuffie going in front of uh, the Congressman uh, Holmes Norton, which I did maybe two or three weeks ago to talk about gun violence um, in DC and, and uh, pushing for more gun violence funding. Uh, we deal with probation and parole. So talking to the probation officers to make sure our guys don't get violated again. 
Um, so, so we crossed the gamut, and we really want to tell a more complete story of of the intersections of all of these different institutions and systems that we come across, and the guys, their lives intersect not just you know with with um, with the healthcare system, but how does it affect their family? And I think you you saw in the trailer, some of our guys brought their kids, and the number one reason why many of them told us in their narratives what led them to actually staying alive. While they were while they were shot waiting for the EMS to arrive, is they thought about their kids. So, you know, we have we have a lot more work to do as far as you know bringing in the families and letting the families tell their stories and the other stakeholders, the trauma surgeons, the attorneys, um, everyone who's a player in the system because it's it's, it's it takes all of us and the advocates. So, uh, and we've had moms demand. Mm -hmm call us and, and, and had seen us and saw our story in the Huffington Post and contacted us about donating, and, and which was really uh, generous on their part of donating. They raised some funds and established a GoFundMe page for us as well. So, I mean, there are a lot of groups out there that are really engaged in the work and want to see us see these stories get out. And then I also think um, it's an individual uh, by the name of Troy Robinson that's on the trailer and then will be in the documentary. Um, Troy was shot, <clears throat> so Troy's been shot three separate occasions, mm -hmm. right? Um, one year after another. And Troy had a colostomy bag. Uh, so Troy went to prison for seven years and still had the colostomy bag on him while he was in prison. Um, so he, he came home and he got enrolled with the program. Um, now Troy has no colostomy bag. Yeah. Right? But he needed the resources and the advocates to be able to articulate um, for him and also the, for someone to know the anatomy because when surgeons speak, they speak in like cryptid right. tone, right? Mm -hmm. And we have no idea what they're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So that's when I find myself just reading up on the anatomy and things of that nature so I'm able to articulate to Troy what's going on with his body and this is how we're going to get it done right. to have it taken off. So that, that really illustrates the benefit of having research joined with practitioners so that, you know, not only are you learning great things about this issue in the community, but because you're right there and because you, Che, have the connection to the these other resources, you can really give the participants something tangible to move on with. I always, I look at Dr. Richardson as, as, as the, the GM and the coach, and I'm just a quarterback, right? I just direct the plays and get the ball, you know, where it needs to be. What do you see as the future of this form of research, digital storytelling, that can lift up the stories of some of these communities that have been overlooked by research in, in the past? I mean, it's the next frontier, really. And um, to be quite honest, it should have been done much earlier. But um, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, since 1996, there's been the Dickey Amendment, and which has prevented um, prohibited to a certain extent gun violence research um, through the CDC and NIH so we've had to so our gun violence researchers like myself had to be more creative in telling the story and fortunately there was the funding through um, the Center for Victim Research to do this research pr practitioner project um, so I really see that it's a really wide open space for us to tell these stories but also to, um, I think it's a, a mechanism and medium that we can use to really inform policy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and how can we use this platform to change policy? How can we inform gun control policy with the work that we're doing? Mm -hmm. How can we inform healthcare policy and criminal justice 
reform policy with the work that we're doing because clearly there's an intersection with the criminal justice system and felony disenfranchisement, which leads our young men to go back to the street because they may not be able to get a job. So all of these things are really important to us. And in fact, you know, we, we've already conceptualized doing PSAs, which will be so along the lines of the way that you see truth commercials. Uh, where we do really informative, creative PSAs on gun violence and how much it costs, the cost to society, and ultimately hoping that those narratives will get out there to change the way that only people see um, the culture of gun violence, but also the structural issues that prevent us from moving policy ahead. So there's really a lot of great work coming out of this and, and out of this whole line of research. Definitely, and it, and it takes a researcher, research to practitioner partnership. I, I think ultimately what really has held many of the organizations back who do really great work on violence prevention and intervention in D.C. and other cities and communities across the country is not being able to, those organizations haven't been able to partner with a university-based scholar and academic, um, which I, I don't think necessarily brings more credibility to their work, but as, as Uzo mentioned, you know, I, we need a partnership between the people who are on the ground who really understand what's going on, and then the, the scholars who can provide uh, a contextual context through data analysis, okay, th these are the problems, and if we can come together and inform each other on this work, it makes it much more powerful. So hopefully, you know, um, many more organizations and universities will benefit from this kind of work and a grant that was provided, because I think it's whoever created the idea, it was, it was spot on. Well, that's fantastic, and I, I agree. We have so much work to do, and there's so much potential for these kinds of partnerships in being able to lift up hid previously hidden areas and then to, as you mentioned, get the attention of policymakers. Exactly. So I really want to thank you all for your time today. I want to thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tell Us About It. If there are research or practice experts you'd like us to interview or research tools you'd like us to feature on this podcast, email us at podcasts at victimresearch.org. Tell Us About It is a production of the Center for Victim Research, funded by the Office for Victims of Crimes Vision 21 Initiative through Cooperative Agreement Number 2016-XV-GX-K006. The Office for Victims of Crime is part of the U.S. Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs. However, the points of view and opinions discussed on this podcast are those of the host and expert contributors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice.